Welcome to the Uncooperative Radio Show with Brian Bonner. The finest uncooperative conservative radio of the net. Kicking down the walls. Blowing away the smoke screens. You cockroaches. And you know who you are. You can run, but you can't hide. Brian Bonner stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Enemies of America, foreign and domestic, consider yourself unnoticed. Uncooperative radio is coming for you. Radio show. I'm your host, Brian Bonner from uncooperativeblogger.com. You're listening to uncooperativeradio.com. And I don't know what we got stuff. We got guns. We got Supreme Court. We got we got a little everything tonight. So uh, stick with us. All right, Patriots, hand of our heart, face the flag. You don't have a flag, get a flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, we're going to start this off with bostonherald.com. A politically charged glossary for Amherst College students that disparages capitalism and dictates a broad range of PC gender terms has been withdrawn after campless Republicans howled in protest, saying the Orwellian language guide threatened to stifle free speech. It wasn't the college's place to tell us what these things meant, senior Brantley Mayors of the Amherst College Republicans told the Herald. They were establishing the parameters of speech. On Wednesday, the elite Western Taxachusetts Liberal Arts College's Office of Diversity and Inclusion posted and emailed to students a, quote, common language guide, end quote, a 36-page document containing dozens of politically correct definitions, then hours later, following complaints, unposted it. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, I'm surprised they just unposted it. The document defines capitalism as a system that leads to exploitative labor practices, which it does not, socialism does, which affect margin which affect marginalized groups disproportionately white feminism is predicted upon the eraser of women of color and the ways in which racism and sexism converge and compound one another well, that's a great guide white feminism that's not too racist can't just be feminist white feminism that's that's racist. Homo nationalism. 
per the document, is used to explain the ways in which cis-gay, again, they took the word gay because they always take labels on the left that's the opposite of what they are. Gay means happy, and they're not happy. I don't know what the new cis thing is either. Cis-gay and lesbian veterans of the Iraq War were celebrated as proof of American exceptionalism in contrast to racist slash or orient orientalist orientalist discourse about Iraqi combatants and other people in Central Asia racialized outside of US understandings of whiteness. Amherst College president Biddy Martin, who claimed she hadn't seen the document before it was posted, and set out said in a statement that the guide takes a very problematic approach. When the approach assumes, it makes an ass out of you and me, campus-wide agreement about the meaning of terms and about social, economic, and political matters, it runs counter to the core academic values of freedom of thought and expression, Martin said. I was not aware that the document was being produced, and I did not approve its circulation. It cuts against our efforts to foster open exchange and independent thinking. It is not a formal college document and will not be used as one. Norm Jones, head of the office, wrote in a statement that the global... Excuse me one second. Uh, wrote in a statement that the goal was to help create greater awareness of the ways many people at Amherst and beyond understand their own identities. But he said, I believe it was a mistake to send it from my office to the entire community because of the implication that the guide is meant to dictate speech and expression or ideology on campus. It does not represent an official position of the college or an expectation that everyone on campus should use any particular language or share a point of view. This is a very uh, unusual statement by people in, in modern colleges. I'm, I'm surprised that they took it down and, and, they're starting, and this person is trying to say that they, they, they don't try and control speech. One of the very few campuses they don't then. The PC language guide comes at a time when conservatives say they are increasingly under attack on university campuses with speakers concealed, subjected to violent protests and hectoring, and even charged honorously honor security fees, while students and professors who take conservative positions say they have been hounded or penalized. Amherst College's about face is seen by free speech advocates as a rare victory. It's pretty uncommon to see something like this retracted, said Adam Steinbau of FIRE, a group that advocates for free speech on campuses nationally. Mayors and fellow senior Rob Barashk of the College of Republicans both praised the college's handling of their complaints and said they appreciate their assurances that the school was not trying to enforce the document. 
But Mayor said this is the latest example of people at the school making people with his views feel unwelcome, saying a culture has been bred on campus that dismisses conservative viewpoints and dismisses conservative students. Yeah, see, that sounds more like uh, my understanding of modern colleges. <laughs> no, even this person was surprised. So, uh, you know, there you have it. Oh, by the way, don't expect the links for these shows going up this week. Uh, again, Susan's sick. I'm trying to do everything myself and uh, keeping track of I just don't need the extra work keeping track of the links. But I've told you where I get them from, and that should be good enough. All right, from WorldNet Daily. The University of Louisville is being sued for firing a professor because he held a different view from his colleagues and the school administration regarding gender dysphoria. I guess this is college gone crazy. The complaint was filed by the Alliance Defending Freedom on behalf of Alan Josephson against the university, President Neely Bendapudi, and other school officials. ADF said the university hired Alan M. Josephson in 2003 to be the chief of the then-struggling Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and Psychology. Why didn't it tell you what? Okay. Since then, he turned the division around, building a program that now has a national reputation. In the fall of 2017, Josephson participated in a panel discussion at the Heritage Foundation discussing treatment approaches for youth experiencing gender dysphoria. His remarks angered a few of his colleagues who then learned he had served as an expert witness addressing similar issues. They then demanded that the university take disciplinary action and university officials responded by demoting him weeks later to the role of a junior faculty member. Then he was fired. Universities are supposed to be a marketplace of ideas, but the University of Louisville is turning itself into an assembly line of one thought, said ADF Senior Counsel Travis Barham. Dr. Josephson has had a long and distinguished career at the University of Louisville, leading and rebuilding its child psychiatry program. Public universities have no business demoting or firing professors simply because they hold a different view than their colleagues or the administration, but that's exactly what's happened here. After being demoted, he was given assignments, typically relegated to less experienced faculty, and then last month, the school refused to renew his contract, ADF said. Universities should welcome differing viewpoints and encourage civil discourse in their academic communities, said ADF Cedar Council Tyson Lankover, director of the ADF Center for Academic Freedom. Speaking with conservative groups or holding conservative views should not be disqualifying for academic service. Unfortunately, the University of Louisville's attempts 
to silence Dr. Josephson, shut down debate, and do a disservice to students and faculty alike. Because of his expression of his views, the complaint charges school officials continued to belittle and berate him, inflicted irreparable damage to his professional career and reputation, and reduced his salary, retirement benefits, and academic travel funds. They took all these retaliatory actions with an eye to ensuring that neither he nor anyone else dares to express viewpoints they find objectionable on medical and psychiatric issues, the complaint states. Yes, this is the tolerant left, ladies and gentlemen. These are the so-called liberals. I keep telling you they're progs, progressives. They're not liberals. They don't stand for liberty in any way, shape, or form. They're just the opposite. Oh, but they love the First Amendment, Brian. They always say they love the First Amendment. Yep, as long as, they love free speech as long as it's their speech. Notice the silence of free speech. This is how they behave. The left shuts down discourse. The left wants to quiet any conservative viewpoints from getting out. We discussed this last show how they're trying to do that with, again, doing Operation Choke Point, a new version. But they're trying to get the banks not to do business with people that they don't like for whatever reason and shut down and find a way to shut down and make sure that no one gets to hear conservative viewpoints ever again. Now, why, does that sound rational to you or does that sound like uh, they're trying to take over the country? They think it's okay because, oh, because we're haters. So our speech doesn't count. We're only haters because you, you say we're haters. We're, we don't, we're not the haters, you are. You hate conservatives so much, you ban them from everything. Social media is a nightmare. Thankfully, conservative social media is on the rise. Where they have real free speech, where even the left-wing coots can come and speak their mind. But the attacks violate the First Amendment. And don't get me started on whether the Bill of Rights applies to states and governments and colleges. And it doesn't. But the courts say it does. So, for now, it does. And they deprive him of due process and equal protection, the complaint contains. Josephson became a medical doctor in 1976 and a board-certified psychiatrist in 1982. He obtained certifications from the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Psychiatry, the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and licenses in Minnesota, George, Kentucky, and South Carolina. I I, I guess that's supposed to say Georgia instead of George. He's taught at both the University of Minnesota Medical School and Medical College of Georgia. The University of Louisville refused to allow WorldNet Daily to question the president. A communication officer, John Drees, was left, was left a message, and another school official later responded by email that the university was declining comment. The complaint lists Josephson's uh, professional credits, including being a senior fellow for the Group for the Advancement of Psychiatry and a 
distinguished fellow for both the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and the American Psychiatric Association. He served as consultant to C. Everett Koop, then the Surgeon General of the United States. At Louisville, the university awarded him perfect scores in his 2014, 2015, and 2016 annual reviews. However, he consulted several times with ADF on the issue of gender dysphoria and eventually prepared a position paper describing the possible harmful psychological effects of allowing youth experiencing gender dysphoria to use the showers, restrooms, and locker rooms opposite to their biological sex, both for themselves and for their fellow students, the complaint explains. He has testified in cases that sex is fixed in each person at the moment of conception, immutable based on objective genetic facts, and binary, i.e. male, having a chromosomal complement of XY, or female, having a chromosomal complement of XX, says the complaint. Children also has said, children he he also has said, are not in a position to make decisions about changing sex because they are not equipped psychologically to make any important life decision. Yeah, otherwise, why don't they raise themselves? Just saying. If you hear a lot of noise, that's the bombs falling out of the trees. Uh, the snow's melting and <laughs> fresh uh, spring snow up there, so it's fa- it's falling out of the trees and... Uh, Sometimes it hits the studio here. Parents who children, parents who children to make such decisions. Um, parent whose children to make such decisions abdicate their responsibilities. I guess everybody's using spell checker now, and I guess everybody writes their articles on a cell phone. What the hell? Who's the editor of these papers? You're fired. While the opinions were expressed as his own, the university decided to retaliate against him. The complaint charges. Gay, homosexual, activists on campus then began demanding the university punish him. The complaint asks for a declaratory judgment that Josephson's First and Fourteenth Amendment rights were violated, an order renewing the contract, a restoration of Josephson's to position as division chief, and a purging of the file of references to any demotion. It also asks for monetary damages and attorney fees. This... You really send your children to these places? Really? I'm I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, moving right along. From the Washington Examiner. Teachers unions step up fight against charter schools. Teachers unions are using strikes across the country to move against charter schools, which threaten their power. 
strikes in California, Oklahoma, Illinois, Wisconsin, and West Virginia have provided an opportunity for unions to ramp up their opposition to charters in places where they are starting to serve a larger portion of students. In some of these states, the issue is being pressure tested for the first time. Said Nina, what the heck? It's running together here. Hold on a second. I can't read that. Uh, same portion of students in some. Wow. It's got, I can't read this. It's messed up. And let's try to make it bigger. Maybe I can see the white part then. It's got white on white, and I'm trying to read it. Um, said. Um, Nina Rees, president of the National Alliance. Where's the rest of it? This is ridiculous. I don't know. That's it. <laughs> the, 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 the article's all messed up. Oh, that's why. Aw, oh, the Washington Examiner is being cute. Thank you for reading the Washington Examiner. This article is exclusively exclusively for Examiner Access subscribers. Subscribe now. Well, bye-bye, Washington Examiner. I don't pay to read online newspapers. You're lucky I read you at all. Okay, move on to WorldNet Daily. A lawsuit by Washington Watchdog, Judicial Watch, is seeking documents to determine whether or not intelligence community inspector general officials informed FBI agent Peter Stroke they had discovered Hitler rotten Clinton's butcher of Benghazi's private email server was hacked by a foreign power. I told you that server had to be hacked by probably all the foreign powers. It had zero protection on it. Nothing. And I don't think for a second that Hitler, Rotten, Clinton, the butcher of Benghazi didn't do that on purpose. The Daily Call previously reported, citing two sources familiar with the matter, that the foreign power was a Chinese government-owned company with operations in Washington. The Chinese embedded code in the server that generated a courtesy copy of every Clinton email and forwarded it, the sources said. Judicial Watch filed its lawsuit after the Office of Director of National Intelligence didn't respond adequately to a FOIA request submitted last summer. Our lawsuit could go further. Our lawsuit could further expose how anti Trump activists like disgraced FBI official Peter Stroke, bent over backwards to protect Hitler rotten Clinton, the butcher of Benghazi, from having to answer for her national security crimes, stated Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. Scandal of the illicit Trump spying is directly tied to the deep state protection of Hitler rotten Clinton. Obviously, I'm calling her that. The meeting between IG officials and Stroke was brought up by Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican Texas, during Stroke's testimony before a House committee last year. 
The Texas Republican explained the ICIG found an anomaly on Hitler, Rotten Clinton, the butcher of Benghazi's emails going through their private server, and when they had done the forensic analysis, they found that her emails, every single one except for four, over 30,000, were going to an address that was not on the distribution list. It was a compartmentalized bit of information that was sending it to an unauthorized source, the congressman said. Stroke acknowledged the meeting but claimed he didn't remember being told about the major security breach. Yeah, you could just easily forget that, right? Anyway, it's time for a break. It's the Uncooperative Radio Show. You stay tuned, cause we'll be right back. This is Jeff Carlisi from the band 38 Special. On behalf of all my conservative rocker friends, I'd like to thank the brave members of our fine armed forces for putting their lives on the line every day to protect our liberty. Thank you. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally caught up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 800-910-8231. 800 910 8231 Warning, don't let your business get left behind in what is likely to be the biggest economic boom in recent history. If you need to build for your business to grow, call General Steel today for a pre-engineered steel building designed for your needs. No wasted space. Steel prices are expected to rise, but you can still lock in your price on a General Steel building. And you can still save as much as half the cost and time of conventional construction. As much as half. But you must call now. If you need a church building, office, warehouse, manufacturing space, retail space, or more. Call General Steel today. You can still get the General's 50-year structural warranty and General Steel quality, all at a price you can afford. So don't let rising steel prices put your project out of reach and stop you from making your company great. 800-917-1316. 800-917-1316. 800-917-1316. That's 800-917-1316. Investing is a long-term process. How many times can you think of in the last decade that the stock market has destroyed retirement funds for people just like you and me? For your existing IRA, you need the security that gold has provided for centuries. Remember, gold has never been worth zero. Capital Gold would like to introduce you to the Home Storage Gold IRA. It's a self-directed IRA set up with all the protection and tax benefits of an LLC. But the big difference in this IRA is you invest in gold and you hold it in your possession. You can't do that with stocks. 
That's security. You can transfer any type of IRA hassle-free in days. Please call right now and learn more, and we'll waive the $500 setup fee and give you a free safe to store your gold. Call 800-515-6302. That's 800-515-6302. Welcome to the Red State Cafe. My name's Darla. You ready to order, sweetie? Your omelets are made with organic eggs, right? They come from a chicken's ass. That organic enough for you, sugar? Uh, what's your pork? Is it steroid-free? It is by the time Chef Earl is done with it, honey. Well, how about your chicken fried steak? That's made with free-range chicken, right? Free-range? We can't afford to give it away, darling. Look, I don't see it on the menu, but can you just make me a progressive omelet? Sugar, you're in the wrong restaurant. The following ad contains shocking material. Listener discretion is advised. Is someone in your family playing a dangerous game of Russian roulette? Over 43,000 people die a year from drug overdose. 120 people a day. Five people every hour. One person every 12 minutes. 88,000 people die every year from alcohol abuse. Over 240 people a day. 10 an hour. One person every six minutes. Somebody you know may be next. Learn how to help someone you love get away from the drugs, alcohol and bad influences with the fmla people can take a leave of absence from their job and still keep it call quit drugs 321 now at 800-377-1456 800-377-1456 800-377-1456 that's 800-377-1456 Back to the Uncooperative Radio Show, our half of one. All right, we were <laughs> we were discussing uh, Peter Stroke and uh, his failed memory. Stroke acknowledged the meeting, but claimed he didn't remember being told about the major security breach. Gomar turned the FBI agent. Let me refresh your memory. The intelligence community inspector general Chuck McCullough sent his investigator, Frank Rucker, along with an IGIC attorney, Janet McMillan, to brief you and Dean Chappelle and two other FBI personnel, who I won't name at this time, but an anomaly they had found on Hitler, Rotten Clinton's The Butcher of Benghazi's emails that were going to the private, unauthorized server that you were supposed to be investigating. Stroke, who later was removed from special counsel Mueller's investigative team for anti-Trump bias and eventually fired, also was revealed, along with FBI attorney Lisa Page, to have used unsecured devices in discussions how the U.S. could improve the sharing of sensitive data with the European Union. Judicial Watch has filed a separate lawsuit against the ODNI, asking for a report on how Clinton's email practices damaged U.S. national security. The Daily Caller, Luke Rosiak, who reported the Judicial Watch lawsuit, 
wrote via Twitter that the story describes one of the biggest smoking guns of the DOJ's election rigging, in my opinion. The intelligence community IG better positioned to assess Hitler's server than the FBI told Peter Stroke all 30,000 emails were hacked by Chinese, but Stroke somehow forgot about that. Judicial Watch also has set a schedule for depositions from State Department aides and other officials related to the email scandal. That July 2014 lawsuit was filed after the State Department refused to respond to FOIA requests for information about talking points given to United Nations Ambassador Susan Rice by the White House and other agencies regarding the 2012 Benghazi attack. President Trump, frankly, should demand to know why the State and Justice Departments are colluding with Clinton allies and trying to protect Hitler, Rotten Clinton, the butcher of Benghazi, and themselves from court-ordered questions on Clinton email scandal, said Finn. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how open and transparent they are. I mean, I'm just saying, it, it's just fabulous. They're so, they're so open. <laughs> uh, yeah, wasn't Obama's administration supposed to be the most transparent in history? It was the most obscured in history. I don't think the left understands open, honest, and transparent. I think those words are just, doesn't make it. Okay. I'm going to try and read from the Washington Examiner again, even though they pissed me off. What is this? For, what? What is that advertisement? <clears throat> All right. This is by Caitlin Yillick. A former National Security Agency contractor pleaded guilty Thursday to stealing classified material over more than 20 years in what may be the largest breach of classified information in U.S. history. Harold Thomas Martin III, 54, worked for several different companies from 1993 to 2016 that contracted with government agencies. He was given a security clearance to conduct his work, which allowed him to access top-secret information. Martin, a former Navy officer, was arrested in August 2016 when law enforcement agents raided his Glen Burnie, Maryland home and found he had stored a massive trove of government documents and digital files in his home and vehicle. He worked for Booz Allen Hamilton at the time of his arrest, the same contractor that employed NASA leaker Edward Snowden. Prosecutors did not accuse Martin, known as Hal, as in Hal, the computer from Space Odyssey, of trying to leak the information, but he came under suspicion as a source for shadow brokers, a group that posted tools to the NSA used to hack, ugh, group that posted tools the NSA used to hack into computers of foreign targets online. Martin had worked for the NSA unit that used the tools. His 
attorneys claim he suffered from mental health issues, which was hoarding the data and did not have any intention of harming national security. Prosecutors never found evidence that Martin shared the evidence with anyone, the secrets with anyone. As part of a plea bargain, prosecutors have requested a nine-year prison sentence. Martin is scheduled to be sentenced July 17. Another NSA employee was sentenced to more than five years in prison last year after taking home classified materials. Intelligence officials believe Russian hackers stole the top-secret information from Inya Bo's computer. Reality winner 27, an NSA linguist, was also sent last year to more than five years in prison for leaking classified information on Russia's election interference. Look at all these people going away for not a tenth of what Hitler Ron Glenn did. And these people are still walking, all these people are walking around the whole deep state nonsense, the leadership of the FBI. Why are uh, criminal charges being filed against these people? I'm just saying. Um, it's just wrong. I know. There's a lot of you out there believe the same way. You scream, you want to see him in orange jumpsuits, you want to see him perp walk, et cetera, et cetera. I got it. All right, again for the Washington Examiner. Southern poverty, man, talk about corruption. This is like the corruption segment. Southern poverty declares war on Trump. Paul Bedard. The Southern Poverty Law Center, also known as SPLC, is fundraising for a wide-ranging war on President Trump and has enlisted top aide to former First Lady Michelle Obama, who played a key role in the dropping of felony charges against quote-unquote empire actor Jussie Smollett. And it's Jussie, not Jesse. J-U-S-S-E, Jussie. There's no such name, but good for him. He's a left-wing kook. He faked the whole thing. And again, I said two shows ago that it was it was Chicago corruption. It was his. He was connected through the Obamas to the Chicago machine, and that's why the judge dropped it. Trump's name was used five times in a fundraising memo from Brian Fair, chairman of the Southern Poverty Law Center's board of directors. Now, SPLC is a real hate group, ladies and gentlemen. Talk about progressive projection. Uh, they call non-hate groups hate groups because of they just disagree with them ideologically. Uh, had nothing to do with hate. They, however, are guilty of actual hate. They are a hate organization. They hate conservatives. They hate the right. They hate. Get me? Given the rising tide of hate and given the callousness of the Trump administration, our work is as critical as ever. I can assure you that we will continue to work as hard as we can to combat the forces of hate and bigotry and seek justice for the most marginalized people in our country. How about you seek justice for everybody, pissant? 
I've gone to bat against the SPLC numerous times over the last decade. Um, I can't believe anybody believes and buys into their BS. Amazon uses them to decide what's hate and what's not. SPLC. Amazing. Amazon's going to get itself in trouble. I don't know if Bezos is, is, uh, I think he might be a lefty kook. And he might just run Amazon out of business if he's not careful. He wrote in the memo provided to Secrets and subsequently posted on the center's webpage. Fair also revealed that SPLC, which has been rocked by by scandal recently, has brought on Obama's chief of staff to help in its efforts. We've just lodged an initiative with Tina Chen, a former chief of staff for Michelle Michael Obama, and uh, one of the leading voices behind the Times UP Legal Defense Fund, to advise us on workplace culture issues. Everyone who works at the SPLC deserves a workplace that reflects our highest values, and we're committed to making sure that it happens, he wrote. Chen's involvement in the shocking move to drop the charges against Smollett of making a false hate crime claim to police has been a key focus in the Chicago media, which has reported she contacted the prosecutor's office with concerns about the probe. According to Chicago Sun-Times columnist Mary Mitchell, the credibility of the Cook County State's Attorney's Office was already compromised after Kim Fox had to recuse herself because she corresponded with Tina Shen, the former chief of staff for Michelle Michael Obama. After Smollett had reported that he was attacked on January 29th, Chen had reached out on behalf of Smollett's family with concerns about how the investigation was being handled. Fair made the war on Trump a key element of his fundraising appeal, noting SPLC's efforts to block the administration on several issues, including on immigration. He wrote, Our financial strength allows us to stand up to formidable adversaries and to take on complex, costly federal court litigation. It has allowed us to hire more than 200 people since the 2016 election to meet the critical human rights challenges the country is facing. It has allowed us to open four new offices at detention centers in remote locations in the Deep South in less than two years to represent people fleeing persecution and grinding poverty in their home countries and others already here who have been caught up in President Trump's deportation machine. Um, Hate to break it to you, President Trump didn't write the law. Without the free legal counsel we provide, they would have no lawyers, no chance of defending themselves in court against deportation. Our endowment ensures that we'll be able to carry on the work far into the future. See, that's what I mean. Working against America all the time. The SPLC working against America. This is nonsense. These people, you hear what he said? Uh... Grinding poverty. Grinding poverty is not a reason for refugee status in the United States of America. If it was, half the world would be here. It's not how it works. 
And again, fix your own country. In his full note below, my name is Brian Fair. I'm an African-American professor. You're black-skinned American professor of constitutional law, which means you know nothing about the Constitution. I'm also the chair of the Southern Poverty Law Center's Board of Directors. I rest my case. And like my fellow board members, I serve without compensation. I serve for one reason and one reason alone. I believe in the SPLC's work because of your support right now. I'm willing to bet he is a liar. He doesn't get any money without any compensation. He didn't say salary, compensation. So uh, there's no company jets, no company cars, no company paid for hotel rooms, no company paid meetings with uh, brunches and lunches and dinners. None of those things happen. If we looked into your financials for Um, what the heck? My page just locked up. Come on here. Well, man, there's another reason I have to go to the examiner. Anyway, um, it get, it goes basically. I don't want. I'm not gonna read his letter. It just goes over what they were just talking about. But just understand this: Brian Fair is full of hate and bigotry. He doesn't fight the forces of hate and bigotry. He is hate and bigotry. Yes, he hates uh, white heterosexual males, white feminists, white anything. Um. That's still hate. I don't give a crap what anybody says. And uh, they have a poll. Do you think Trump's border emergency declaration is constitutional? Of course I do, because it is. How could it not? What, I'm, not I'm curious. How was it constitutional when Obama did it and when Clinton did it? Was it okay then? Because they did it more than once. It just wasn't publicized by the news. To do, to do what they wanted to do, yeah, it really was. But, uh, I don't know, their page is so slow, I can't even pull up the poll to see what what happened. Alright, you're broken. I hate the, I am despising the examiner for so many reasons now. They used to be a good paper, I, I don't know what happened to them. All right, this is from Conservative Revival. Ilan Omar told a massive career-ending lie that she constantly came to re instantly came to regret. Ilan Omar may finally have discovered how far is too far. The one person who could end her career finally got fed up, and Omar instantly regretted telling a lie that could finish her political career for good. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who's a Muslim racist, which is redundant, has made national headlines for her anti-Semitic lies and speeches. She shocked and horrified the majority of Americans when she accused Jewish Americans of holding a dual loyalty to Israel. 
First, Nancy Pelosi and other Democrat leaders tried to explain away her comments on being misunderstood. But now, even Chuck Schumer has called out Omar for her blatant anti-Semitism. Really? Chuck E. Cheese, Sinister Schumer? He, as, it, as reported by the Daily Caller, without naming her specifically, Senate Minority Leader Chuck E. Cheese, Sinister Schumer, criticized comments Democrat Representative Ilan Omar has made about members of Congress who support Israel during his Monday speech at the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, AIPAC. AIPAC, so AIPAC, American Israeli Public Affairs Committee. These age-old anti-Semitic tropes are false, and we must renounce them. You could be a Jew and care about Israel, and it does not make you any less American. You could be a Jew and lobby for Israel, and it does not make you any less American, he stated. You could be all that at once, completely Jewish, completely pro-Israel, completely American. And you're a Jew by name only. You're a self-loathing Jew. You don't go to temple. You don't, you don't consult rabbis. You don't keep your faith. You don't have any. You're evil through and through, Schumer. Yes, and I happen to know he doesn't go to temple. Omar responded to his criticism by lying. Omar's comments have also begun to infuriate the deep-pocket heavyweights in the party that could provide the financial and institutional muscle to launch a strong primary challenger against her. But it keeps getting worse for Omar. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Elliot Engel issued a strong statement against Omar, calling her comment a vile anti-Semitic slur and deeply offensive. He also left the door open for her to be removed from her seat on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Unfortunately for Omar, some of her claims may prove to be prophetic. She recently sent out a tweet saying, It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Offered a chance to explain, Omar upped the ante by saying she believes the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee is paying U.S. politicians to be pro-Israel. This has infuriated some Democrats' top donors, potentially putting her at odds with mega-donors like George Soros, Michael Bloomberg, and Tom Steyer, all of whom are Jewish. Yeah, in name only. Their race may be Jew, but they have no religion. They have no spirituality. People are bereft of spirituality. They are the opposite. They are evil. Evil consumes them, and they won't be happy until they can treat completely enslave us. For example, one major Democrat party donor described himself as a one-issue guy, and that issue is Israel. Well, you might have noticed the Republicans seem to like Israel, not the Democrats. So why don't you send your money over to the Republicans? It wasn't a Democrat who moved the embassy to Jerusalem. It was a Republican. It wasn't a Democrat to improve relations with Israel. It was a Republican named Donald Trump after Obama has burnt it to the ground. 
Omar's conversational statements <clears throat> open her up to a credible, well-funded primary opponent next year. And some top Democrat operatives already appear to be floating the idea. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, the thing you thought was so great that her district was overwhelmingly Muslim, that's why she was elected. She's not, you're not going to primary anybody against her unless it's a Muslim that could possibly win in her district. They don't care about this. They're anti-Israel. They're Muslims. Her, the people she represents from her district are Muslims. She represents Muslims and nobody else. Other Democrats are privately urging Omar to tone it down and be more like socialist Bernie Sanders, who is Jewish, but has been able to adroitly work his way through the issue by sounding contemplative and intellectual. As more and more Democrat leaders and mega-donors turn against Omar, it will only be a matter of time before she finds herself facing a well-funded, highly organized Democrat primary challenger. And again, it won't, it's not unless it's a Muslim, it won't matter. We'll, of course, keep you updated on this continuing story. And all these things are, are the things the people that she represents believes. You don't, you, people just don't understand even your own people that you ally with. You're idiots. It's it's finally it's it's finally done and settled. Everyone on the left are morons. That's why they believe in left wing ideology. That's why they fight hard for their own serfdom. They're idiots. Again from Conservative Revival. Chuck E. Cheese Sinister Schumer is furious. Once again, President Trump has humiliated him in front of the entire nation. And this time, the U.S. military just gave Schumer a surprise that ruined his week. Democrat Senator Chuck E. Cheese Sinister Schumer just got news he was dreading. After spending months fighting against the president's efforts to secure the border and build a wall with Mexico, Sinister Schumer thought he had won. The president seemingly backed down for a moment. It appeared like Democrats were going to get their way. But then President Trump pulled a trick on congressional Democrats that is now leading to the Pentagon beginning work on building the wall with Mexico. The Department of Defense is shifting $1 billion from a military personnel account to build a 57-mile fence at the southern U.S. border. But there's the music. we got to go to a break. It's the Uncooperative Radio Show. You stay tuned, cause we'll be right back. If a scientist says the temperatures are up 0.01 degree, lead story around the country in every newspaper. But when somebody with decades of experience comes out and says global warming is a manufactured crisis, no one cares, and you can hear a pin drop. How do I know? Because that is exactly what happened last week when the founder of the Weather Channel wrote an article that began, and I quote, it is the greatest scam in history. I'm amazed, appalled, and highly offended by it. Global warming. It is a scam. But since that opinion doesn't fit nicely into the mouth of the media beast, hello NBC, uh, you probably didn't hear a word about it. 
Well, now you will. John Coleman is the founder of the Weather Channel. He was also the first weatherman ever on Good Morning America, and he is currently weatherman at KUSI News in uh, San Diego. Uh, John, your head about exploded with the NBC thing this week. Is that what is that was the breaking point for you? Well, I've been listening to all the global warming talk for a long time and posting material about global warming on our website. But finally, uh, the crescendo of global warming myth, nonsense, exploded in my head. Our world faces a true planetary emergency. We have tried and tried and tried to get a debate on global warming mm -hmm. with scientists on the other side. Al Gore or any of the uh, scientists behind him over at the UN IPCC, we'd love to have a debate with them, but they say, oh no, the debate is over. Yeah. Well, now there are 30,000 of us. Mm -hmm. We have 30,000 scientists, 9,000 PhDs, who have signed up to debunk global warming, mm -hmm. and uh, they still won't listen to us. Under my plan, uh, of a cap-and-trade system, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. What was the turning point for you? What? Because I know that you said that you went in to look for an honest answer. You thought, maybe it's real. What was the thing that stood out and you went, this is absolutely bogus? Well, when I looked at the hockey stick graph that was produced in Manning's original report, and it showed a steady line temperature through the millenniums and then a sudden rise global, I knew that that was incorrect. Yeah. I, I knew it couldn't possibly be, and I started asking experts about it, and I started digging into how that was produced, and I found out it was bogus science. It yeah. wasn't real. The numbers had been massaged. Our world faces a true planetary emergency. It's the American worker who is going to be disadvantaged in many ways because of this theory that the majority wants to impose upon the American family, which according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, would spike the cost of energy for the average American family of somewhere between $700 and $2,200 a year. Under my plan uh, of a cap-and-trade system, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. Nobody in this country realizes that cap-and-trade is a tax, and it's a great big one. If somebody wants to build a coal-powered plant, they can. It's just that it will bankrupt them because they're going to be charged a huge sum for all that uh, greenhouse gas that's being emitted. Global warming. It is a scam. Crisis. Scam. The Heritage Foundation, and just last week the Brookings Institution, has also put out how many jobs are going to be lost by this. The Heritage Foundation is estimating that you're looking at anywhere from over 1.5 million jobs being lost. Uh, you're carrying it out to the end date with the, uh, the Brookings Institute, it's about 2.5%. Bankrupt. Scam. One in three Michigan families are behind over 30 days in their electricity bill. One in three. One in three. What this bill says is we're just not going to crush you. We know you guys can't have big fancy lobbyists and who help negotiate the bill and can discuss very complicated allocations of 35% that really don't mean 35% that deal with future contract purchases and the fluctuating price. They don't care. They know that they got a refrigerator that they have to have electricity to to keep their food cold and fresh for their family. They know that when their kids get on the computer, it costs them more money to do their homework. That's what they know. 
and they know that they just want somebody somewhere to stand up and say, hey, what about me? What about the little guy? I'm having a hard time making my house payment, and I'm, as, as the statistics show, one in three houses can't even make their electric bill payment on time. And all we're asking is give them a break, please. Show hour two. Okay, we're going to be talking about guns, firearms. Oh my! For the this is from the NRA. For the last year, we've been reporting on the bizarre saga of. Dick's Sporting Goods, transformation from a relatively functional purveyor of mainstream sporting goods to a groveling symbol of modern corporate virtue signaling. On Friday, new evidence emerged of just how much that crusade has cost the retailer. It hasn't been a pretty story. Dick's CEO, Edward Stack, with evident pressure from the media and anti-gun lobby, has embarked on an escalating series of policies to restrict the chain sale of guns, at one point a significant part of the company's revenue stream. Whether Stack had a sincere change of heart on the morality of his business model, or whether he naively sought to protect his company with a futile attempt to appease a frothing mob that hates guns and capitalism with equal fervor is anyone's guess. But Stack went so far as to formally collaborate with the Michael Bloomberg-funded Every Town for Gun Safety, which every town wants to just confiscate your guns, and to sign a letter endorsing gun control bills pending on Capitol Hill. His company even retained corporate lobbyists to press Congress for additional gun control. Needless to say, these moves resulted in Dix becoming synonymous with Benedict Arnold in the minds of well-informed Second Amendment supporters. Uh, Benedict Arnold gets gets a raw deal. Uh, Don't get me started. Shoppers and major suppliers in the pro-gun community stopped doing business with Dix. Now Bloomberg's own media outlet, Bloomberg.com, is reporting that Dix itself estimates the price of its anti-gun advocacy at $150 million in lost sales in 2018, or almost 2% of the company's annual revenue. And while anti-gunners insist they would reward Dick with increases in their own business, the same article mentions a new Stanford University study that casts doubt on the premise. According to that research, Respondents said they were more likely to buy a product to support a CEO's political stance than they were to boycott in disagreement. But their actions revealed the opposite, the article continued. When asked for specific examples, 69% could name a product they'd stop buying, and only 21% could recall a product they started buying. So it seems unsurprisingly that being boastfully anti-gun is a dumb idea for a gun store 
as is counting on the professional loyalty and support of anti-gunners, who, let's face it, probably aren't likely to be the most athletically inclined people and to need the other types of wares that Dick sells anyway. Nevertheless, Stack remains defiant. It was worth it, the article quotes him saying. Easy for him to say when he's successfully elevated his own perceived moral standing with his high society peers by gambling with the money of its shareholders, who, of course, assumed much of the financial risk for Stagg's very public moralizing. But make no mistake, Ed Stagg remains a fabulously wealthy man and Dick's retail empire remains big enough that it may successfully reshuffle its business model to remain viable. But Ed Stack has done gun owners a favor by allowing them a myriad of opportunities to express their pro-Second Amendment commitments simply by avoiding any sort of purchase they may otherwise have made in his stores. Be it guns, ammunition, or even kayaks or baseball gloves, there are plenty of other outlets eager to serve the pro-gun public without condescending to them and collaborating with organizations that would take their rights away. Dick's corporate largesse may buy Ed Stack the fleeting admiration of the gun control and media elites, but gun owners have long memories and they will hopefully continue to add to the 150 million reminders they already have given Stack. I don't know about Dick's sporting. I don't know what the hoopla is about Dick's sporting goods. I don't know why people shop there. I found their prices way too high. You can, you can buy the same stuff cheaper elsewhere so why dicks other than you know brick and mortar stores that you could just walk into like a regular store gotta learn online is is something that has to be viable and these big brick and mortar places are seem to be fighting against us come on kmart banned this guns for sale uh, Walmart stopped selling handguns or anything that looked militaristic. I mean, on and on it goes. Go online if you have to. Besides, you'll save money anyway. Goodbye, Dick's Sporty Goods. There's none here where I live anyway. Not that I, not why, not that I would go there. Just like Bob Words, it's too expensive, even though it's a chain store. All right, again from the NRA. Crazy AOC eyes. <laughs> the battle over politics... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, again from the NRA. Uh, the battle over politics in the financial marketplace continues to intensify. The combatants include anti-gun politicians who insist that banks have a social responsibility to sign onto the far-left's political agenda. Opposing them are patriotic Americans of all stripes who believe that federally chartered banks should serve the law-abiding public without ideological or political discrimination. At stake for gun owners is whether the industries that provide firearms, ammunition, and related accessories to the civilian market will be able to participate in the 21st century economy. It's becoming increasingly clear that the world would look like if the most dedicated opponents of the NRA and pro-gun politicians had free reign to impl implement their vengeful and discriminatory agenda against the political enemies. They do 
not want a fair and open policy debate. They do not want to have to defend their own objectives. There is, in the minds, no legitimate opposition to them, so any tactic is on the table to get what they want. This includes the thinly veiled extortion of wielding government influence and the virtual outrage mob against anyone who will not bow to their demands. If you don't believe us, just ask socialist Democrat and media darling Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat, New York. The freshman congresswoman is proving a quick study when it comes to the extra-legal use of her official position and considerable celebrity to promote political goals that have failed to advance through the lawmaking process. We recently reported how AOC's fellow gun control advocate, Carolyn Maloney, Democrat, New York, used a congressional oversight hearing to berate a bank executive not for actually breaking the law, but simply for refusing to follow the example of other banks and refusing business with law-abiding gun sellers. Maloney insinuated the bank was somehow complicit in mass murder and explicitly accused it of putting profits over people. It is a lawful business. They're doing business with a lawful business. What you're asking them to do is actually unlawful. Any moral. But it's been done. Under Obamanus, they had Operation Choke Point. Look it up. That's what they were doing. They were get, getting the banks not to do business with gun stores so they could no longer take credit cards, bank checks, or anything else but cash for their guns. Now Ocasio wants to bring it back. Good old, good old AOC. Never one to avoid the media spotlight, Ocasio-Cortez took up that refrain last week by taking several national banks to task on Twitter for helping to finance lawful projects or industries that she finds distasteful, including fossil fuel pipelines, private prisons, and businesses involved with assault rifles. These private prisons, just so you know, are immigration hold detention centers. They are not prisons. And there's no such thing as an assault rifle. All rifles are capable of assault. AOC, like Maloney, sits on the House Financial Services Committee, which is involved in banking oversight. Perhaps just as relevant in what passes for the modern marketplace of ideas, she has nearly 4 million Twitter followers, many with seemingly endless time and energy to execute whatever happens to be the social justice directive of the moment. AOC elaborated on what she was hoping to accomplish in statements to Politico. There's more than one way to skin a cat, and not everything has to be done through legislation explicitly, she said. Oh, yeah, actually it does, legally. And only legal legislation, legally. Like, you can't pass gun control laws without amending the Constitution. But, but they did. We can also use the tools that we have here to pressure, pressure change in other ways as well. That includes the implicit threat of telling regulated entities they are now on the official naughty list for not towing the political line and unleashing activist hordes to bombard their social media feeds with defamatory accusations or to perhaps make more drastic action in the real world. Fortunately, not everyone on Capitol Hill has adopted the scorched earth outlook of Maloney and, and, I'm going to call her Baloney, Baloney and AOC, and some are 
actively trying to ensure that America's business and banking sectors are not completely subsumed into Washington, D.C.'s increasingly toxic political battles. As we reported last week, Senators Kevin Kramer, Republican, North Dakota, and John Kennedy, Republican, Louisiana, introduced Senate 821, the Freedom Financing Act, a bill to prohibit discrimination against the firearms industry in the provision of financial services. This week, Mike Crapo, Republican, Idaho, chairman of the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, sent a series of letters this week to the presidents and chief executive officers of America's biggest national banks. Those letters expressed concern with the increasingly politicization of banking services. Large banks, which receive significant forms of government support and benefits, should continue to provide credit and services to customers and companies that comply with federal and state law and should not seek to replace legislatures and policymakers, Chairman Crapo wrote. Business lending decisions should be based on creditworthiness rather than politics and political pressure. Chairman Crapo's letter also referenced the Politico's article quoting AOC on pressuring change outside the lawmaking process as an example of this disturbing trend. The Obamanist administration pursued similar tactics under, ah, here it is, Operation Chokepoint, with federal regulators leaning on banks to drop relationships with gun sellers and other lawful but disfavored businesses who were portrayed as a reputational risk to the institution's financial soundness. But those objectives were hotly denied by the administration and dismissed as conspiracy theory by its media surrogates. Yet now we are being openly pr promoted and celebrated by those on the far left, which pursues the same style of government corruption, but without the self-awareness to engage in any pretense of hiding it. AOC would apparently be only too happy to tell you that OCB was A-OK, -okay. Operation Chokepoint. For now, fortunately, these anti-gunners' worst ambitions are still kept somewhat in check by the division of political power in D.C. Should that situation change, lawful firearm businesses and other targets of the far left's wrath won't be fighting overreaching legislation, won't just be fighting, overreaching legislation and bad publicity from a complicit press. They'll be facing their exclusion from modern society altogether. Again, uh, she's not smart enough to think up anything for herself. And you know Obamanus fed her this, right? How the hell did she come up with this Operation Choke Point all of a sudden? Because Obamanus is involved, Obamanus is, is helping feed her. Obamanus is teaching her how to be a community organizer. And Soros is funding her. Again from the NRA. And one of the strongest judicial statements in favor of the Second Amendment to date, Judge Roger T. Benitez of U.S. District Court for the Southern District of California. Wow. California? Determined on Friday that California's ban on commonly possessed firearm magazines violates the Second Amendment. The case is Duncan v. Becerra. Ah, Becerra again. 
in, in my show again, are you? The NRA-supported case had already been up to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit on the question of whether the law's enforcement should be suspended during proceedings on its constitutionality. Last July, a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circus upheld Judge Benitez's suspension of enforcement and sent the case back to him for further proceedings on the matters of law itself. Judge Benitez rendered his opinion late Friday afternoon and handed Second Amendment supporters a sweeping victory by completely invalidating California's 10-round limit on magazine capacity. Individual liberty and freedom are now outmoded concepts, he declared. In a scholarly and comprehensive opinion, Judge Benitez subjected the ban both to the constitutional analysis he argued was required by the U.S. Supreme Court in District of Columbia v. Heller and more complicated and flexible tests than Ninth Circus has applied in prior Second Amendment cases. Either way, Judge Benitez ruled the law would fail. Indeed, he characterized the California law as turning the Constitution upside down. Well, we do live in inside-out, upside-down world. He also systematically dismantled each of the state's purported justifications for the law, demonstrating the factual and legal inconsistency of their claims. NRA ILA Executive Director Chris W. Cox hailed the decision as a huge win for gun owners and a landmark recognition of what courts have too often treated as disfavored right. Judge Benitez took the Second Amendment seriously and came to the conclusion required by the Constitution, Cox said. The same should be true of any court analyzing a ban on a class of arms law-abiding Americans commonly possess for self-defense or other lawful purposes. Unfortunately, Friday's opinion is not likely to be the last word in the case. The state will likely appeal the Ninth Circus, which was, has proven notably hostile to the Second Amendment in past decisions. Nevertheless, the thoroughness of Judge Bennett's analysis should give Second Amendment supporters the best possible chance for success in appellate proceedings particularly if the case ultimately lands before the U.S. Supreme Court, which, of course, it's supposed to go right to after the state Supreme Court, not to any lower federal courts. Uh, that's in the Constitution. Check it. The federal, lower federal district courts have zero jurisdiction in all these cases. The state Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, and the only time it goes to the Supreme Court is when the state is involved, and then it goes directly to the Supreme Court. Does not pass go. End of question. And again, that's plainly written in the Constitution. You don't have to be a scholar to understand it. But if you want to understand it more, you go to uncooperativeradio.com where we have the Patriots Pub. It's also at patriotspub. No, it's not. Yeah. If you go to patriotspub.us, it'll bring you to the Patriots Pub at Uncooperative Radio. Don't get confused. Uncooperative Radio is a station. It has the Uncooperative Radio Show, Women of the Revolution, which is on hiatus. The Patriots Pub, which is a finished project, please listen from episode one because it puts history and our founding documents in context, without which you've missed the whole point of three and a half years of work. But after that, you will know the Supreme, you will know the Constitution like no other. 
Well, maybe not me. In the meantime, Friday's order prohibits California from enforcing its magazine restrictions, leaving its law-abiding residents safer and freer, at least for the time being. To stay up to date on the Duncan case and other important Second Amendment issues affecting California gun owners, visit www.nraila.org forward slash campaigns forward slash California forward slash stand and fight California, each word with a hyphen. Stand hyphen and hyphen fight hyphen California. And be sure to subscribe to NRA ILA and CRPA email alerts by visiting www.nraila.org forward slash sign up and www.crpa.org. Told you, pen and paper, pen and paper. Oh, you listening to our bottom line commercials. You must have noticed they're paid commercials for the most part. Yeah, we do have paid commercials. However, we do not get paid to air them. So if you're interested in any product or service that we provide on our commercials, we do vet them. Please dial the number in the advertisement. If you get to it any other way, we won't get paid. The ad company won't get paid. Not good for the future of Internet Talk Radio. So again, please write down the number in the advertisement if you're at all interested. There is no requirement to buy. If you call, we get paid. That's why I say if you're at all interested, give them a chance to try and sell you. That's their job. And we might be <clears throat> might be having uh, some shakeups and commercials coming up too. But that's another story. All right. Mises Institute. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org. This is from their Human Action Podcast, The Theory of Interest Rates, by Jeff Deist and Jeffrey M. Herbener. What are interest rates, and where do they come from, and what purpose do they serve? Smith, Marx, and Keynes got these questions wrong. Turgot, Bohm, Bauerk. Bauwerk, yeah. And Mises got them right. Economist Jeffrey Herberner from Grove City College explains. Okay, where'd it go? Oh, because it's a podcast you have to listen to. <laughs> I thought they had a transcript. All right, well, <clears throat> if you're interested in hearing that podcast, go over to Mises.org forward slash library forward slash theory hyphen interest hyphen rates and you'll get a good explanation on it sorry about that that got past me but uh it did that's all right we got more from mises no we don't this is another why when did they start getting all these radio shows these podcasts the bob murphy show that sounds interesting too well uh, i should be promoting other people's shows but Again, we promote Mises Institute and the Austrian School of Economics because it, it is free market liberty. Okay, this one is not a podcast, again, for Mises. This is capitalists, not socialists, pose the greatest threat to capitalism. Holcomb is the author's name. Randall G. Holcomb. 
In the 1940s, economist Frederick Hayek said in his book, The Road to Serfdom, an excellent book, may I add, that the road to serfdom was socialism. Economist Joseph Schumpeter in Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy feared that socialism would displace capitalism even though capitalism was a better system. In the 21st century, self-proclaimed socialists like Senator Bernie Sanders, independent Vermont, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat New York, are keeping the fears of Hayek and Schumpeter alive. These fears are misplaced. The biggest threat to capitalism aren't socialists, they're capitalists. While socialists float aspirational ideas for a better society, Capitalists conspire with the political class to enact policies that benefit the political and economic elite at the expense of the masses, which is not a free market. The result is that business... Oh, we got to go to break. It's a cooperative radio show. You stay tuned, cause we'll be right back. This is Jeff Carlisi from the band 38 Special. On behalf of all my conservative rocker friends, I'd like to thank the brave members of our fine armed forces for putting their lives on the line every day to protect our liberty. Thank you. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally caught up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 800 910 8231 Eight hundred nine ten eight two three one eight hundred nine ten eight two three one eight hundred nine ten eight two three one. Warning, don't let your business get left behind in what is likely to be the biggest economic boom in recent history. If you need to build for your business to grow, call General Steel today for a pre-engineered steel building designed for your needs. No wasted space. Steel prices are expected to rise, but you can still lock in your price on a General Steel building. And you can still save as much as half the cost and time of conventional construction. As much as half. But you must call now. If you need a church building office, warehouse, manufacturing space, retail space, or more. Call General Steel today. You can still get the General's 50-year structural warranty and General Steel quality, all at a price you can afford. So don't let rising steel prices put your project out of reach and stop you from making your company great. 800-917-1316. 800-917-1316. 800-917-1316. That's 800-917-1316. 
Investing is a long-term process. How many times can you think of in the last decade that the stock market has destroyed retirement funds for people just like you and me? For your existing IRA, you need the security that gold has provided for centuries. Remember, gold has never been worth zero. Capital Gold would like to introduce you to the Home Storage Gold IRA. It's a self-directed IRA set up with all the protection and tax benefits of an LLC. But the big difference in this IRA is you invest in gold and you hold it in your possession. You can't do that with stocks. That's security. You can transfer any type of IRA hassle-free in days. Please call right now and learn more, and we'll waive the $500 setup fee and give you a free safe to store your gold. Call 800-515-6302. That's 800-515-6302. To the Red State Cafe. My name's Darla. You ready to order, sweetie? Your omelets are made with organic eggs, right? They come from a chicken's ass. That organic enough for you, sugar? Uh, what's your pork? Is it steroid-free? It is by the time Chef Earl is done with it, honey. Well, how about your chicken fried steak? That's made with free-range chicken, right? Free-range? We can't afford to give it away, darling. Look, I don't see it on the menu, but can you just make me a progressive omelet? <laughs> Sugar, you're in the wrong restaurant. The following ad contains shocking material. Listener discretion is advised. Is someone in your family playing a dangerous game of Russian roulette? Over 43,000 people die a year from drug overdose. 120 people a day. Five people every hour. One person every 12 minutes. 88,000 people die every year from alcohol abuse. Over 240 people a day, 10 an hour, one person every six minutes. Somebody you know may be next. Learn how to help someone you love get away from the drugs, alcohol, and bad influences. With the FMLA, people can take a leave of absence from their job and still keep it. Call Quit Drugs 321 now at 800-377-1456, 800-377-1456, that's 800-377-1456. Back to the God Cooperative Radio Show, hour half of two. All right, we're at Mises.org talking about, well, economics. The result is that business, oh, well, I better back up. While socialists float aspirational ideas for a better society, capitalists conspire with the political class to enact policies that benefit the political and economic elite at the expense of the masses. The result is that business profitability increasingly comes from political connections rather than by satisfying the demands of consumers, undermining free markets and the capitalist system. As long as we have Keynesian economics, we do not have free market. This is widely recognized, if not widely understood. People talk about cronyism, corporatism, the division between the 1% and the 99% and the threats of the military-industrial complex. In my recent book, 
I call this phenomenon political capitalism and explain how it undermines the market system and threatens capitalism. When capitalisms tout pro-business policies, they are inevitably are talking about policies that use trade barriers and regulatory impediments to give themselves advantages over competitors. And he uh, wrote the article on The Hill, uh, thehill.com, if you've never been there. Not to, I'm not a giant fan of The Hill, but, you know. Where was I? Uh, political capitalism. When capitalists tell pro-business policies, they inevitably are talking about policies that use trade barriers and regulatory impediments to give themselves advantages over competitors. They work the political process to get subsidies and tax breaks that benefit themselves, but impose costs on everyone else. Policies advertised as pro-business are almost always anti-free market and anti-capitalism. Political capitalism encroaches upon free market capitalism because public policy is made by an elite few who have an incentive to use the policy-making process for their benefit. Think about the Occupy Wall Street language in which public policy benefits the 1% at the expense of the 99%. But critics of our current system include socialists, too often want more government programs and more government oversight to remedy that problem. These critics should recognize that elite few create public policy. Giving the government more oversight power means giving more power to the 1%. Political capitalism is enabled by the ideology of progressive democracy. Progressivism has, from its beginning, advocated the use of government power to impose costs on some for the benefits of others. Originally, it was designed to redistribute wealth of those with concentrated economic power, the so-called robber barons, like Rockefeller, Carnegie, and Vanderbilt, for the benefit of those who claim to be victims of that power. 21st century progressivism retains its share of the wealth ideology, which justifies imposing costs on some for the benefit of others. And if you think the Republicans are not part of this, they are part and parcel of this, they are... They, they're Rockefeller Republicans. Yes, they're progressives. But they're also Rockefeller Republicans. Uh, you need to look. If you don't know about the Rockefellers, you need to look that up. 21st century progressivism retains its share the wealth ideology, which justifies imposing costs on some for the benefit of others. Democracy is great mechanism for peacefully determining who exercises political power, but the ideology of democracy goes beyond this. To depict democracy as a mechanism for identifying the public interest, as determined through a democratic decision-making process. The ideology of progressive democracy enables political capitalism because it justifies policies that impose costs on some for the benefit of others. Public policy is designed by an elite few. When those elite few design policy that benefit themselves, the ideology of progressive democracy justifies those policies as furthering the will of the people. Protective tariffs, regulatory barriers to thwart competitors, 
tax breaks, pro-business subsidies. These are the hallmarks of political capitalism, enabled by the ideology of progressive democracy that undermined free markets and capitalist economy. To echo Ronald Reagan, government isn't the solution, it's the problem. The way to preserve the prosperity that has come with free markets is to limit government and sever the connection between the economic and political elite. The return to a system in which cronyism and political connections do not enhance business profitability. Capitalists. The beneficiaries of free markets lobby government for tax breaks, subsidies, and protectionist policies rather than supporting competitive markets and a level economic playing field. They don't defend the free market system that has made everyone more prosperous. No, they they keep themselves prosperous by keeping we the people from becoming their competition. Contrary to popular belief, the biggest threat to capitalism doesn't come from socialists, it comes from capitalists. Randall G. Holcomb is the DeVoe Moore Professor of Economics at Florida State University. He is the author of Political Capitalism, How Economic and Political Power is Made and Maintained. Okay, continuing with the hill here. I can't resist AOC. Democrat Representative AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, from New York with the crazy eyes, shut down an audience member who called a former GOP lawmaker a moron at an MSLSD town hall on Friday. AOC appeared alongside former GOP rep Bob Inglis, South Carolina, on the network for a panel discussion about her proposed Green New Deal and other progressive issues. During one portion of the town hall, Inglis, who has said he believes in climate change, expressed concerns about having the mirror image of a Trump rally on climate change. I worry that what what we do is, if we have basically the mirror image of a Trump rally on climate change, that we drive all the people away that could come our way and solve this thing now, he said, prompting an audible reaction from the audience. Inglis, who left in the house, ha- who left in the House in 2011 suggested that AOC and other progressive focus solely on climate change now before coming back to address other issues such as health care and universal basic income. You can't do it in a single Congress, the entire Green New Deal, he said. It is literally impossible with the number of committee references that you would have in the course of that. Is it possible that we say climate change, we've got to act now, he said? Can we come back, maybe, to universal basic income a little bit later? Some audience members loudly booed English with one person calling him a moron. Hey, that's unacceptable, AOC responded to the audience member before turning to English and adding, that's the difference between me and Trump. She later shared the clip on Twitter, writing, let's debate, not de- not debase. This was a complete setup. That was a complete setup. She's not smart enough to do that on her own. Sorry, that was a complete setup. She was ready with the Trump reference. These people are so disingenuous. Some Republicans have compared AOC to President Trump because of her social media use and habit of responding directly to the press and her critics. Comparisons that she and her allies have deemed absurd. 
Really? It's absurd? Isn't that what you do? The MSLSD town hall comes after the Senate blocked the Green New Deal in a vote this week that saw most Democrats voting present. Senate Majority Leader Old Mitch Old McConnell, McDonald, McDonald, McConnell, Old Donald from Republican of Kentucky, forced a vote on the proposal in an effort to test Democrats' unity on the topic. But at the MSLSD event on Friday, AOC outlined her plans to push forward with a sweeping effort to address climate change through legislation. I didn't expect them to make total fools of themselves, she said of GOP critics of the plan, which she maintains is not socialist or radical. It is both. Climate change was created by the IPCC in the United Nations. The IPCC's founder said when he founded the IPCC that he hoped the IPCC would bring about one world socialism. That was their whole purpose in life, and that is the purpose of global warming, climate change. Call it what you want. Climate changes, but man-made is nonsense, and CO2 being poison is nonsense. Look up photosynthesis, and maybe you should have a sign that says, photo, Hey, AOC, learn photosynthesis. You dumb bitch. <laughs> bring back the dumb bitch segment. Oh, she fits right in there. She is dumb. All right. I don't know if I want to stick with this. Yeah, I guess so. I'll stick with the economy for a little while. Well, it's the end of the show. All right. This is from Mises.org again. This is from Alasdar McLeod. Despite the ECB's Subsidy of the Eurozone's banking system, it remains in a sleepwalking state similar to the non-financial, non-crony capitalist, zombified economy. Gone are the heady days of investment banking. There is now a legacy of derivatives and regulators' fines. Technology has made the overextended branch network, typical of a European retail bank, costly white elephant. The market for emptying bank buildings in the towns and villages throughout Europe must be dire, a source of under-provisioned losses. On top of this, the ECB's interstate rate policy has led to lending margins becoming paper-thin. A negative deposit rate of 0.4% at the ECB, your Euro Central Bank, has led to negative wholesale Eurobar money market rates along the yield curve to at least 12 months. This has allowed French banks, for example, to fund Italian government bond positions, stripping out 33 basis points on a reckless one-year bond. It's the peak of collapsed lending margins when even the harebrained can see the risk is greater than the reward. Whatever the regulator says, the entire yield curve is considerably lower than Italian risk implies it should be. Given its existing debt obligations, with 10-year Italian government bonds yielding only 2.55%, that's less than equivalent U.S. Treasuries, the global risk-free standard. 
Government bond yields have been and remain considerably reduced through the ECB's interest rate suppression and its bond buying programs. Oh, you really like the Fed. The expansion of Eurozone government debt since the Lehman crisis has been about 50% to 9.69 trillion, I guess that's euro bars. This expansion, representing 3.1 trillion euro bars, compares with the expansion of the euro system's own balance sheet of 2.8 trillion euro bars since 2009. In other words, the expansion of eurozone government debt has been nearly matched by the ECB's monetary creation. Bond prices, such as that of Italian 10-year debt yielding 2.55%, are therefore meaningless in the market sense. This has not been much of an issue so long as asset prices are rising and the global economy is expanding, because monetary inflation will keep the, fa the fiat bubble expanding. It is when a credit crisis materializes that the trouble starts. The fiat bubble develops, leaks, and eventually implodes. Now that the global economy has stopped expanding and is on the brink of recession, under the changing conditions, the monetary, systemic, and economic dangers facing the Eurozone are rapidly rising. This is a problem beyond the ability of the ECB to contain. Politicians and their institutions in Brussels seem unaware of the approaching storm, but when they do become aware, they will turn to groupthink for protection. Like fish in a tightening bait ball, they, their actions are set to accelerate their own demise. Man, that's a lot of economics. Ugh. All right. Uh, we can... I don't just I didn't want to do a whole article. I just wanted you to get the premise that the euro zone is still in financial trouble. The the problem has not gone away. They didn't fix it. It isn't over. They've just kicked the can down the road. And uh, it's going to bite them in the backside because socialism central planning never works. Okay, raw conservative opinions. God bless America. Mexico is bracing for a mother of all caravans after Interior Secretary Olga Sanchez Gordero warned on Wednesday, we have information that a new caravan is forming in Honduras that they're calling the mother of all caravans. And they are thinking it could have more than 20,000 people. The figure has been disputed by activists such as Ireneo Mujico or Mujica of group Pueblo Sin Fronteros, which was paying the last caravan from Central America. They were paying people to come here. That group. Who has accompanied several caravans in Mexico and said in a statement that there has never been a caravan of the size that Sanchez Cadoro mentioned. According Olga Sanchez Cadoro, according to AP, past caravans have hit very serious logistical hurdles at 7,000 strong. Honduran activist Bartolo Fuentes, who accompanied a large caravan last year, dismissed the new reports as part of the U.S. government's plans 
something made up to justify their actions. I don't care if there's 10 of you. You don't get to come here. Later Thursday, Honduras Deputy Foreign Minister Nelly Jerez denied that a mother of old caravans was forming in her country. There is no indication of such a caravan, Jerez said. This type of information promotes that people leave the country. Quote from the S. O'Shea Press. Sanchez Cordero made the comments alongside U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security earlier this week in Miami, Florida. Meanwhile, around 2,500 Central Americans and Cubans are currently making their way through Mexico's southern state of Chiapas, right now in yet another caravan. Last year's caravans contained up to 10,000 people at some point. Mexico's tolerance for the caravans is wearing thin, it seems, as they have stopped giving migrant humanitarian visas at the border, while some previously hospitable towns along the well-traveled route are have stopped uh, have stopped allowing caravans to spend the night. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador said Thursday that Mexico is doing its part to fight immigrant smuggling. We are going to do everything we can to help. We don't in any way want a confrontation with the U.S. government, he said. It is legitimate that they are displeased and they voice these concerns. Well, gee, thank you. Sanchez Cordero has pledged to form a police line of containment around Mexico's narrow Tehuantepec Isthmus to stop migrants from continuing north to the U.S. border. The containment belt would consist of federal police and immigration agents but such highway blockades and checkpoints have not stopped large and determined groups of migrants in the past. Again from the ass, O'Shea Press. System-wide meltdown. In a Thursday letter to the House and Senate, Homeland Security Nielsen made an urgent request for assistance to stop what she described as a tide of migrants overwhelming the border, according to CBS Communist Broadcasting Service News. DHS facilities are overflowing, agents and officers stretched too thin, and the magnitude of arriving and detained aliens has increased the risk of life-threatening incidents, wrote Nielsen, citing the increasing number of migrants arriving each month in large groups. Nielsen wrote that her greatest concern was for the children, as Customs and Border Protection currently has over 1,200 unaccompanied children in custody. The Trump administration has been widely criticized for earlier policies toward migrant children, such as separating families and keeping minors in poorly equipped detention centers, which didn't happen. The pictures are from Obama's presidency. Those pictures were old. They're not anything like the minor quarters that they're given now, which are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Our first lady visited there, and I saw the footage myself. No cages, no emergency blankets, nice bed, nice comforters, nice little room with stuff. It's They have to separate them because of the, the first thing, courts told them they have to, because they can't put them with their parents in detention centers. So that's why they're put elsewhere. Oh, that's breaking up families. No, it's not, because as soon as it's decided what's going to happen to the parents, then they they can reunite the families and deport them all. That's my opinion. 
Nielsen also asked for more detention facilities in her letter, a point of disagreement which nearly led to a second shutdown this year. Democrats have reasoned that capping immigration and custom enforcement detention beds would force the administration to narrow its ramped-up deportation deportation efforts. Uh, Why would it do that? I'll just... I guess I just have to deport them outright. Stop at the border and turn them around. They won't get a judge. If you want to play, let's play. Nielsen said that the Department of Health and Human Services would require more emergency resources such as medical and legal assistance to handle the influx of children. She also asked that Congress grant more authority to the Department of Homeland Security to return unaccompanied migrant children from Central America to their countries, saying that putting these minors in the custody of sponsors in the U.S. becomes a pull factor for more migrants to make the trip north. Communist Broadcasting Service News reports. Let me be clear. The journey of any migrant, especially at the hands of a smuggler or trafficker, is not a safe one. Reads the letter. We must be able to come together in a bipartisan basis to take action. And nobody's talking about it. And thank you, Zero Hedge, for that. Moving right along. Oh my God, what a horrible picture. I could. Oh, this is a freaky looking picture of Rachel Madcow. This is from Real Conservatives Unite. Imagine you spent two years completely screwing up at your job. I mean, not merely getting every single thing wrong, but loudly, proudly getting in everyone else's face about how right you are. You'd get fired, terminated, 86th, and shift canned. But not the mainstream media. The media hacks failed for two years plus, nonstop and without equivocation. But are they ever going to be held account? No, they're just going to gather in a big circle and and Pulitzer each other. Imagine you committed a racial hate crime where you falsely accused people who didn't look or think like you of a horrible atrocity and that you'd have gladly picked some poor saps with the wrong skin tone out of a lineup and then sent them to prison for decades giving the chance. Now imagine the two half-wits you hired to help you manage to get caught on video buying their stereotype get-up, and spilled it all to the fuzz. Though the fact you paid them with a check because you're a criminal mastermind was... Oh, we're out of time, ladies and gentlemen. It's been the Uncooperative Radio Show. I'm your host, Brian Bonner from uncooperativeblogger.com. You're listening to uncooperativeradio.com. And good night, folks. <laughs>